Welcome to episode 2 of the Song Hacks podcast. My name's Al Southgate and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. We're going to be exploring all things songwriting with a very special guest. So make yourself a brew, plug your headphones in and find somewhere comfortable to sit and enjoy. So before we get into the show proper, there's a few little things I need to announce. The Song Hacks podcast is now available on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you use either of those services to subscribe to podcasts, you can now get Song Hacks on there. And it would be really helpful if you could leave a review on either iTunes or Stitcher. That will help grow the audience. If you've already subscribed to the RSS feed on Podomatic, I've actually already moved to a different service provider. I've moved the podcast now to SoundCloud because basically it's a better service, it offers more and it's cheaper. If you're on SoundCloud yourself, you can follow the Song Hacks podcast there, leave reviews and add comments, etc. There's also a Facebook page that you can go and like and get involved with. Just search for Song Hacks and it will come up. And if you want any other information or you want to go and read the show notes for this week, then head over to songhacks.uk. So I've been contemplating the idea of making a songwriting podcast for quite a few years now. And about two years ago... I had an idea for a podcast series that centred on me collaborating with other artists and musicians on a series of songs that I imagined would be made into an album and I recorded what I considered to be a pilot episode with my very good friend Ian Lowry who happened to be a guest on episode one of the Song Hacks podcast and for one reason or another it got put on the back burner We managed to write the song and record a whole load of material for it, but it ended up being shelved. So I decided that while I'm cutting my teeth and getting used to being a podcaster, I thought it'd be a good idea to finish the show, to revisit that material that we'd created, just tie up that loose end and get it out there as episode two. So you'll hear the song itself, which happens to be called Mother's Little Soldier. You'll also hear a conversation that Ian and I had reflecting on the process of collaborating to write the song. Not only that, you'll hear a more recent interview where I find out a bit more about Ian and his career so far, plus three of his other songs. The first one is My Old Good Friend from his EP that he released in 2008. Then there's Birthday 2.2 from his album Gargan Navy Hasties and Pick from 2010. 
and then Cold Metal Frame from his one-month album, Februm, which was released in 2013. I really like the song we wrote together, and I'd like to offer my thanks to Ian for being a guest for the second time. It's really nice to have his support in the early stages of this podcast. And I'm a really big fan of Ian, not only as a human being, but also as a songwriter and a producer and a musician. I think he's fantastic. And he's a real integral part of the music scene here in Norwich in the east of England. And I'm sure you'll be hearing more from him in one way or the other on the show in the future. In a moment, you're going to hear... Ian's recorded response that he made two years ago to the two questions what is it that compels you to write songs and what do you get out of it? Then you'll hear the first of Ian's tracks that I'm going to play in this show. After that you'll hear the more up-to-date interview where we find out a little bit more about Ian and what's happened to him in the last couple of years. Then, after a couple more of his songs, you will hear our conversation, where we try and recollect how it was to actually write the song together, the process that we went through. Somewhere in amongst that, you'll hear the song that we wrote itself. So anyway, thanks very much once again for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. If you want to get hold of me for any reason, you can send a message to songhacks at gmail.com. Leave a comment on SoundCloud or Facebook or songhacks.uk. I'm going to stop wittering on and the next voice you hear will be Ian Lowry's. What exactly is it that compels you to write songs? I don't know if I can be exact about it really, it's lots of things. Music, well, in its kind of base level, in terms of frequencies reacting with each other and creating different types of vibrations, there's certain vibrations or certain placements of notes in time which I find really exciting and they do kind of, they do things to my body, they, they you know, it has a physical impact on me, certain sounds, harmonic sounds and um, I'll be playing and I'll stumble across something and I'll, I'll play something like a sequence of chords or I'll sing something over something a set of chords and capture one of these sort of uh, bits which I like you know and, and sort of turns me on you know that has in the past compelled me to write songs because you know I've wanted to use these bits and that's what you do, you make a song out of it don't you but so, yeah, there's the, the sort of musical aspects, capturing and discovering things which I haven't heard before or things which I find exciting and wanting to use them. Also, I've been compelled to write songs by sort of things that have happened in my life and uh, things, you know, situations, uh, good and bad, of course. It's a good way of sort of getting rid of issues about things, I think, is to sort of make a song about it because 
you know there's a lot of care and attention goes in especially when you're doing everything yourself you know recording it and producing it writing it and playing all the bits and stuff often the two sort of music and words you know they're sort of hard to match up for me there's been a few times where I've kind of got a a sort of musical idea which I think is really cool but almost because I like it so much I my standards for for a sort of lyrical idea and basis are sort of quite high so I'll often sort of wait until something happens <laughs> or until I've I've got something really worth saying before I'll finish a song it just seems inappropriate not to you know I sort of feel like almost like I've I've been sort of given this this song and it's really good and therefore I need to look after it you know and I I can't just kind of chuck any old crap on it because it would I don't know it just it doesn't seem right almost you know and it and it's not like oh I'm, I'm amazing I need to you know it's not about that it's like the song once the musical sort of idea is, is written you know it's it's sort of not yours anymore almost it, and you've got this sort of incredible responsibility to continue on the the picture in the in the appropriate manner <laughs> I realise I should be a lot more probably should be a lot more carefree but um, I'm not <laughs> sometimes I write things because I um, I have production ideas really like I have an idea of a sound a sort of general sound of how a, a, a song could be you know, there's a sort of rough framework in my he- I mean, in my head about what it should look like almost, and then it's just sort of filling in the gaps. In one way or another, we're always, we're trying to make th- things that we think are, are beautiful, aren't we? I like to appreciate the beautiful things and striving for making things that are amazing, even in just a little small way. You know, it can just be a little bit, and the song really is just there for the bit. <laughs> Also, one of the things I get from it, quite honestly, is enjoying impressing other people, you know. Yeah, so there's that kind of, um, you know, enjoying praise. And, uh, you know, I like being told that, you know, I'm I'm good. And, you know, you have to keep trying to be good to keep doing that and keep re- re- receiving that, I guess. So. My old good friend, how the hell are you? Years since we last saw your face round And I know I've only got myself to blame But as time goes on I start to wonder why We were friends and should have meant much more than a girl that you or I know I know at the time it seemed the only way Don't you miss our brand of subtle
Okay, I'm sitting here with Ian Lowry, who's joining me for the second time on Song Hacks for this second episode. Ian, would you like to say a bit about yourself? Give us an outline of what you do musically. I've been kind of a musician since I was about, well, as long as I can remember, really. Three or four, you know, playing, certainly being kind of uh, getting into rhythm and sort of playing drums and stuff like that, at least slapping my hands on my thighs and stuff like that. And started learning piano when I was about seven and learned some brass instruments. Both sides of my family are kind of big brass players, so I did that for a while. And then I sort of, uh, when I was at high school, I started playing guitar and started getting into bands and things, playing either sort of uh, nirvana type stuff or chili peppers type stuff uh, basically since I've, since I was about 25 I've started writing my own songs arranging them for bands starting to record myself a lot more I mean obviously that's something I've been doing since I was about 16 getting a full track and things like that and getting into recording mm-hmm. and kind of getting into writing songs through recording I think being able to you know sort of jam with yourself almost you know Build, build things up track by track and not necessarily have to sit down and write the full song before you feel like you've got somewhere. Um, I've, I've been uh, a guitar player in lots of bands and sort of a, a kind of co-writer to a sort of main writer quite a lot and done a lot of that throughout my sort of band playing, which has been great. Played in quite a, a few different bands like sort of indie rock bands like Lost Levels and like hip-hop bands like Def Tex and folky bands like Heart of a Dog and played with uh, Millie a bit and done some music with her, Millie Hurst, Ellis Island Sound, done a few sort of uh, sort of session musician things for people, like played on your records and mm-hmm. um, Darren Heyman and <coughs> Mia Viger and, you know, various things. And I've learnt a lot from everyone, really, that I've worked with and getting to know how they find their way through it and, yeah, just sort of soaking everything up, really. But... I mean, today I've, as a solo artist, I've released um, three or four albums, kind of. I say released, you know, I've sort of put up on a Bandcamp page. Mm-hmm. And, and some I'll, of those, of course, have been the one month. One albums. month albums, yeah. So three of those. Well, then, and then there's another two albums on there, and then there's a bunch of sort of single tracks. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of stuff with um, a group called The Electric Set, which is me, James Leeds. James Elliott Taylor and Mark Thorby and we've been doing these um, fold over songs where we basically pick a title and then the first person in a sort of pre-selected order writes and records a minute of music based on that title and sends the last few seconds to the next person and so on and so on until you have a full thing and I've done quite a few of those and actually I think that's been some of the best writing I've done in a way or the most sort of inventive uh, that's kind of me as a writer, I guess, and I'd obviously do stuff with Lost Levels. And and where, what's happening with the Lost Levels at the moment? Because it's been some time since you've played a gig, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, and well... 
And there's not an album in the pipeline. There is an album. A couple of days ago, we just put up a new EP that we've been working on for okay. for a while. So there's a new three tracks which we've just been put up with, you know, barely barely any fuss really. Which is the sort of third in a trilogy of EPs in a similar sort of approach. Yeah, and then next is the album, which is basically finished and we've been sitting on for a while. But now it seems like, you know, we've, we've got a few things in the pipeline that like we've been making a video and that's sort of due to be finished soon for a, a track off the album. So we've just done this EP and we'll talk about that for a little bit and then we'll do a single with this video and then put the album up Cool. later on. But yeah, that's going to happen. You've been doing a lot of production. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, that's the thing. So more recently, I've been doing that a lot more than my own music. You know, I haven't really done my own music other than the electric set stuff recently. But the production thing, I've been working with, well, quite a few local people. I've been recording like Millie Hurst and um, Birds of Hell and also Emily Wing. Uh, Shane, done an album with Shane Olinsky, mm-hmm. which is sort of finished and going to be put out somehow. So you mentioned um, your formative experience with music, drumming on your leg when you were a little kid, learning the piano. And whistling. I, was, I remember whistling a lot and people telling me that I was a really good whistler mm-hmm. when I was really young. <laughs> so you got encouragement. Actually, I remember being like probably about three or four probably about three actually, like really young, and being taken around to my uncle's house and he put on a, <laughs> put on a level 42 record or mm-hmm. something. And immediately I was just, I sort of named the tune and he was like, oh my God, how do you know that? You know, I was kind of really aware of music at a young age and kind of interested in it and wanted to know. Yeah, like you say, kind of encouraged by surprising people with sort of a musical awareness. Mm-hmm. So it came, it came from you and was noticed by the adults around you. Yeah. And, w- um, and you mentioned both sides of your family being involved in playing brass instruments. Yeah. I understand that, uh, was it one of your grandfathers was like a, a really renowned... Yeah, I've, got, I've got him on a record over there, BBC Performance. But yeah, he's a, a, incredible. Um, sort of virtuosic euphonium player. Yeah, well actually my granddad, on my dad's side, the euphonium player, he gave me lessons for a bit, you know. And it was when I was living in Yorkshire, mm-hmm. when I was like seven or something. But yeah, I had lessons, and uh, there was that. Uh, they, he was still very much involved with that whole Grimethorpe Colliery or Frickley Colliery band at the time. Right. So there's that. The, um... So there was a whole kind of miners thing, and the. Wow, that that sort of brass band world, and then on my mum's side, it was the Salvation Army, and they were all Salvation Army bandsmen, and sort of really involved in the music of that. So, wow. So there was a lot of there was always kind of music at home. And my dad was a um, my dad was really into music and um, collected was a collector of records and yeah, that, stuff. And that was my next question. You know, you you mentioned Level Forty Two, but um, I, I always certainly remember my parents, and particularly, you know, it was my dad that was the record collector as well, really. Um, so many of the sounds that I try and recreate, if I really think about it, I can trace them right back to yeah. my dad's, like, you know, 40 or 50 vinyls that he had that I listened to when I was growing up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I sort of grew up on 
pop from kind of you know the 80s as well as like the Beatles and Queen and uh, loads of folk music and um, a lot of 60s music mm -hmm. 60s pop and that kind of stuff but definitely a big kind of prog thing going on as well <laughs> which was good and classical music you know mm -hmm. um, I was in quite a good f position for a sort of a natural interest to be stimulated mm. recollection of when you first really consciously created music? Probably it would have been when I first started to play the guitar when I was about 13. Because mm -hmm. I'd sort of had a gap from really doing any music being around 9 till sort of, yeah, sort of 12, 13. Why was that? I don't know really. I'm trying, I'm sort of thinking about it and, trying, and kind of wondering like, well, I must have done something, but I mean, I, sort of, I remember sort of getting my first sort of CDs and stuff when I was probably about 10. And oh, what were they? Do you remember the first? The first CD I bought was Countdown to Extinction by Megadeth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I listened to it a lot. I remember getting really into just sitting and listening to music on my own. 
like in my room and, and sort of having a tape collection and stuff and uh, being really captivated by music and and uh, being well moved by it, I guess you know mm-hmm. fascinated by it how old were you when you said you were about 10 was that when you started to listen to music like that on your own as a as yeah. a matter of course yeah about that sort of 10 or 11 I think so what else was going on in your life at that point um well it was fairly kind of hard time really mm-hmm. my parents split up when I was about 7 initially we lived with my dad for a bit in Yorkshire and then we lived with my mum and there was a sort of few years of quite unsettledness and mm-hmm. yeah so I was living in Norwich and I think I was, oh yeah I moved to Norwich when I was about 9 or 10 mm-hmm. um, so that must have been quite an upheaval moving schools and all that kind of thing yeah and my Just mum remarried and stuff so we had like a whole new vibe you know it certainly was around that kind of time and I guess becoming just more aware in general, just growing up, getting, starting to sort of become a teenager and yeah. going through that kind of period. And I guess you, at that sort of age, you, you kind of want to, you start wanting to define yourself a bit more, don't you? And yeah. develop your own identity after sort of not really having one or sort of having your parents' version of your, your identity in terms of what you wear and things like that. And, do you know what I mean? A bit more. So you mentioned that there was a certain point at which you really started to identify as a songwriter. So you'd been playing in bands for a while, you played guitar, what have you. You said you were around about 25? Yep. When you started to become <clears throat> Ian Lowry the... Yeah, well, I went to college. I, w- I went to... Um, uh, I did the ADP course in London, the Access to Music Artist Development Programme. And I did it as a composer. Mm-hmm. It was slightly differently structured back then before you did it. You could either go on a course as a, a session musician or a solo artist or a band or as a composer. Mm-hmm. And I did the sort of composer route. And that meant that every five weeks we had a project where I would basically have to write a set's worth or sort of six, half an hour's worth of songs in different genres was one of my sort of things that I was doing Mm -hmm. I did sort of four pop songs first and it was it was really fun and I I was like given a a basically a band's worth of session musicians to write for Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was just like look you've got four weeks to do it just do do the best you can try and write four pop songs teach them to this band and then on the fifth week you perform it your set sort of thing and I was like shit how the fuck am I going to do that I haven't written anything for ages I can't write songs do you know what I mean and kind and of, had you tried there before that point well I, I mean yeah I'd, I'd yeah definitely I mean I'd been sort of I've been writing and recording my own music since I've, I was 16 on four tracks really mm-hmm. but I've never really kind of thought that I could do it as a performer as a as a as a writer or a, as a performer I never really thought I was so I never really sort of took it, believed in myself until that point. Well, I was just going to ask, what made you decide to do the course as a composer when essentially you were, it, it would have made more sense given where you were to be like a, a session, do the session player route or something? Well, 
I mean, I think in a way it would have made more sense for me to do it as a solo artist. Right. Because at that point, thinking about it, I kind of already sort of was. Okay. In a way. But I just... Well, I, I wasn't, but I sort of... I was ready to be. Right. right. I think. So how was it... Um punching through that membrane as it were you obviously had some kind of desire to identify as a as a front man or compa- you know a, a solo artist or what have you I just wanted to yeah I just wanted to ch- ch- prove that I could do it in a way yeah I did it sort of really well mm. and I'd sort of surprised myself in a way I got, I got such good sort of feedback off it you know from the other students and the, the tutors and stuff I was like oh right Cool. <laughs> Do you think that you would have arrived at that point without doing that course, or no? I don't think I would. No, it's such a different. It's such an environment to sort of indulge in your own music and your own self, but in a sort of structured and supported way, you know. But still being able, still having the opportunity to just kind of discuss your own music and discuss ideas and. Mm. have other people tell you what they think about what you're doing and mm. how they understand it what are the projects you're currently working on as we sit here I'm recording now with Pete Murdoch, mm-hmm. Birds of Hell and um, I'm about to be releasing some stuff by Ben C. Wynn mm-hmm. and I am Mixing an album for Eastern Seaboard. I am. Is that another local act? Yeah. I'm doing an ongoing collaborative project with James Elliot Taylor, making an album. I am halfway through a collaborative project with Mark Bidley. And I am also working on a new song. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of my own. Cool. And, yeah. When was the last time you did that? And not including the one month albums. Don't know. Quite excited. Like an, an idea which I kind of like, mm-hmm. and, and and sort of I'm quite excited about. It's funny actually. I'm in this stage where I'm a little bit worried about working on it. <laughs> now mm-hmm. I sort of got to a point and I'm like, oh, it's really good. I don't. I'm like a little bit scared to do to to work on it anymore in case. I don't know. <laughs> it's just as it is now. It's sort of in this nice unfinished, but lovely place. <coughs> Feel your pain, cold metal frame. I put you back in your element just for the hell of it with my brain.
was Cold Metal Frame by Ian Larry that you just heard. In a few minutes you're going to hear the song that Ian and I wrote together a couple of years ago, which is called Mother's Little Soldier. Before that you'll hear a bit of our conversation that we had recently reflecting on the process of writing the song. After the song you'll hear the rest of that conversation and it's worth mentioning that I'm still very much experimenting with the format of the show. Ian and I do a little bit of an analysis of the chord structure, which I'm not entirely convinced makes for interesting and engaging content for the audio podcast format. Particularly if you have very little knowledge or interest in music theory. But in terms of reaching out to an audience, I am hoping that songwriters will be interested in listening to the Song Hacks podcast, both beginner and veteran. So let me know, I'd like to have some feedback. If you'd like to hear more of that kind of thing, or you think I could do it differently, then um, comment on SoundCloud or send an email to uh, songhacks at gmail.com or post on the Facebook page. Because I don't want this to be a one-way street. I'd like the audience to get involved as much as possible. I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to make this Song Hacks podcast as good as it could possibly be. And for that, I need your help. Anyway, thanks again for listening. And back to the conversation between Ian and I. So we're upstairs in Ian's studio. So this is where all the action takes place. There's some stuff in here that's been it's been on Six Music, mm-hmm. uh, MP3, and the uh, headphone moment. You'll probably end up with a blue plaque on the side of this house one day. That would be amazing. That would be brilliant. That's what I aim for. But one of the things <laughs> one of the things that happened in this very room more than two years ago um, I, I came round here with this highfalutin idea of making a podcast we wrote a song together which was going to be the focus of the podcast itself we, we recorded the process of actually making it um, which I listened back to it was interesting hearing the initial ideas and how it changed. I mean, I don't know if you remember, we had um, a completely different chord sequence and melody that was going to be, that we decided was an intro. Can you play it? I know, I can't remember it. I mean, I might, I might uh, perhaps I'll edit that bit in. Okay.
But it's really nice, really nice little idea, but somehow we switched gears and came up with this with this other song. I mean, do you remember much about the process of writing it? I remember being aware that it would be easier to get it done if I sort of took a bit more of a supportive role. I mean, is that what you did? Yeah. Time, you okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just sort of trying not to get in the way of it too much, mm. in a way. And, but sort of steering it where I thought I should. Okay. In some way. You know, it was my it was my intention, and of course this is probably impossible. But you know, to try and make the whole thing fifty fifty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, um, um, I mean, I, after, I, you know, I can't. Obviously, I haven't heard the thing as recently as you have. But I remember kind of talking a lot at every sort of stage of the of the way, really, and just sort of saying, "Okay, well, what do you think? Should it do this or this?" You know? hmm. I mean, that's kind of a slightly old way of doing it. I think. One of the skills that I whoever's got the idea needs to be needs to sort of get it out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Rather yeah. than rather than just at every point <laughs> just suddenly having the opportunity to take it in a completely different direction. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. just unhelpful, isn't it? And it's not that the other person's ideas aren't valid or whatever, but it's like, well, you need to decide what you're actually going to do because otherwise you're not going to do anything. Hmm. I've noticed in myself that I have a real strong desire to collaborate with other people, which is something I've not really done for years. And actually... Although during those years I would rationalise it and say, oh, oh, it's because the technology means that I don't have to and all of this stuff. But actually, if I'm really honest about it, it's because I'm a little bit afraid of it. I'm a little bit afraid of being found out. You know, if people could see my songwriting process, they'd think that, you know, it wouldn't be quite as clever as the finished song might seem or and stuff like that. Or, which is daft, you know. I mean, it's, this is uh, all stuff that I'm comfortable to share because I think I'm growing out of it. I'm, I'm kind of moving, moving beyond that. So for me, the exercise of collaborating serves a variety of purposes. I'm, I'm hoping that it will create some interesting and entertaining content when we edit it all together. So there's that. But also, I want to get really good at collaborating. Yeah. Because I think that because it's exciting, I'm bored of just writing on my own. It doesn't really thrill me. There's no novelty there. Yeah, it's kind of it's 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 difficult. It's difficult to sort of negotiate it. There's a lot sort of depends on personalities and your ability to communicate properly with the other person and be honest without it being hurtful or something or. Hmm. You know that that not to be an issue kind of thing because otherwise it can be if you're trying to collaborate with somebody from different musical background or something and there's a completely different understanding or approach to music you know mm. it can be quite difficult the key is communication i would say because mm. my memory of it and this is somewhat informed by the fact that i've at least had a cursory listen back to the recording of us actually making a song was you came up with the first initial lyric idea. I think I had the guitar, and we made some sort of decision to play it in the key of E major. It did seem pretty even, actually. 
I think I was trying to do the same thing that you were doing. I was trying to hold back and give you some room. You were obviously doing the same. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it was like almost more exciting when you put forward an idea, more of a relief, than when I offered something. Mm. It was like, oh, phew, he's done something, so now it's not me just taking over the whole thing. So it's interesting dealing with those dynamics. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's. It'd be good if both people didn't mind that maybe they didn't do all the bits. Or yeah, something. sure. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's the idea and the understanding and trying to form that thing. It's the important bit, and you're doing that together. You know. Yeah. Doesn't really, doesn't really matter how you get there. <laughs> and it's probably worth mentioning, and this is deliberate, certainly on my part, in terms of the podcast, is that we've collaborated a lot I mentioned that I tend not to collaborate writing songs but you're someone that I feel really comfortable working with anyway so it's kind of easy from that point of view if the goal is to write a song that really moves people then that's got to be the focus hasn't it that's got it's much more so than the egos involved anything will do Anything could happen Huddled in my room Clutching at a slow song about then as we've said we wrote it a couple of years ago and I feel like a lot's changed for me since then and it's always interesting to me when I when I'm involved in writing a song and, and as I've said that tends to be for me on my own as a general rule but when I listen back to it sometime down the line from that from the point where I, that I wrote it I'm always quite surprised by how 
vividly it captures how I felt at the time. As far as I remember, it was you that came up with the initial idea. And I can't remember, maybe you said, oh, anything will do. And maybe that was a off-the-cuff remark about the process of writing a song, and I picked up on that. Oh, I, don't, I can't quite remember. But. Anything will do. I remember as well one little trick. We settled on the key of E major. There's this idea of you can use parallel keys to just broaden the palette of chords. It's kind of really straightforward and predictable, isn't it? If you stay in one key. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what was what would parallel to chord to E be? Are there well, you could have various different ones, or. You, so the chords from E major would be E, F sharp minor, G sharp minor, A major, and so on. And there's seven chords, isn't there? Um, a parallel key would be starting on E minor and playing the chords that relate to E minor, for example. But then you could, I mean, you could, it could be, you could have all sorts of different scales. But just the, with their root on E. And I think we chose. I mean, I my mem- I don't have this piece of paper anymore. But I think I wrote out all of the chords in the key of E major, and then like the chords in the parallel key, which I can't quite figure out what it was because it doesn't. It certainly wasn't E minor. So we've got a E chord, and it immediately kind of goes out. Of what you'd expect, isn't it? On the yeah. next chord. Because that note is the um, flattened fifth, isn't it? Over the if you had the E chord, you should have the the fifth note. Should be that, but in the melody when we play that weird chord, the um, E flat 7, it kind of goes down to that note. It does, and that's, and your ear expects it to be somewhere else. Your ear mm. expects to hear that note, a semitone up. And I can't remember how we arrived at that. Um, it doesn't really matter, actually. It just sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? But, it, but it? but that note, that change of that note, which is war- like moving one note out of key, strictly speaking, kind of comes back at other points. And I, I don't think, it wasn't particularly deliberate, we were just going through different chords. And no, I think perhaps we agreed subconsciously on a shared set of harmonic boundaries. Mm. But anyway, after that, so it, it goes around that, and then... So on the do, it's kind of gone out of key, isn't it? And back again. Now you're used to it. So. Different chord on the third time. And then development. And all that whole bit on the third time round is all very much in the key of E major. So it's comfortable and familiar, isn't it? So. Do, 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 do. 
But that's the thing. I think in the lyrics, I mean, we're sort of here. We're making the uncomfortable familiar yeah. by repeating it, and then the third time, repeating the first half at least, and then moving somewhere else. And there's a bit of uh, there's something poignant about it. I'm not sure if there I is, can yeah. figure it out exactly. There is. Well, it, it, you suddenly start getting into sort of well, what eventually goes back to church music, I suppose. You know, and yeah, and hearing familiar chord movements that are emotional or remind you of other emotional things. Mm. So it's yes, yeah, it sort of goes off somewhere uncomfortable and it comes back to home but yeah. also you're, you're suddenly the melody goes really high and you're hitting a minor chord you know and it's it's there's a bit of sadness in there and which bit yeah well, what note is that yeah so we've gone one up from that flat and fifth haven't we it's gone up to, to the fifth okay which I suppose is what, because that's such a strong movement, isn't it? Yeah. To hit that fifth, when you actually get it, that's what you were, what your brain expects anyway, isn't it? When you get it, it's sad. And when it changes to the other bit, the everything is happening. Yeah. So now we're up. But I think that's playing that. That's going back to the. Um, that, um, yeah. Latin fifth. Yeah. So Except it functions as a third. But that's why that's shock. why it works because it's we've heard that note before. But but this is in a more. But suddenly we've jumped from E major to what sounds like F major, which is F sharp. F sharp major. Well, actually, maybe the parallel key is B because because if because having an E. sense of some of the other chords and that, yeah that makes sense because then, the oh. then that would you could argue then that the the E flat 7 is chord 5 from a A flat minor which would be the relative of the, the B major yeah so I like analysing stuff like that, and then sort of finding out how the mechanics fit in. Not, not least because you might want to write another bit, and something that, and analysing what you've already done sometimes opens up yeah. parameters for the mid late or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to learn about how it works, mm. understand it. Well, I'm not quite. It's difficult to know how I much. I don't know anywhere near enough, but mm. the bits that I do, I find. Yeah, really. So yeah, so we can kind of change mode a little bit. B 
which is kind of... Yeah, it does feel kind of like a home, doesn't it? So it's a bit weird. But then that can function as chord five back to... Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it does all... Yeah, so it's hot. It's just hovering between E major and B major stroke A flat minor. So the only other thing we haven't really talked about is the lyrics. I certainly remember formulating more of the lyrics in that recording that you did answering those questions you were saying about not being so comfortable with lyrics. I mean, yeah, I find it difficult anyway. Yeah, I, I think it's a weird thing because when I write words, they're, off, um, they're very much connected to me singing them. It depends what you're doing, but when you're sort of writing a song just for the sake of writing a song and it's a collaborative thing, then... I don't know, it's kind of... I find it, yeah, on difficult ground. You don't want to sort of say something stupid. Without claiming that I'm brilliant or anything, as I say, I let other people be the judge of that, but um, I find it quite straightforward. I can put myself in this frame of mind I can process an idea and make it fit into the phrasing of the melody and the rhythm. Yeah, often I just I try to do it when I don't have the idea and I kind of wait for the idea rather than decide on an idea. Hmm. That's why I don't do anything, really. Right, that's interesting because I tend to just come out with something without really thinking about it and then try and like extrapolate an idea out of it. To me, I think it's a song about male alienation. I think that I was very much feeling like that myself. So to me, it's, it's someone, it's a man who is, spends a lot of time at home sitting around, just not really having much to do with the outside world, but being kind of overwhelmed by everything. Yeah. That idea of tipping point in the last verse, in my mind that had two meanings. There's like this idea that maybe we're at a sort of tipping point in terms of ecological crisis and sort of geopolitical stuff and population and all of these things. But also, you know, you can have your own personal tipping point of despair or depression or hopelessness. Yeah. And quite honestly, I really identify with that I certainly identified with that back then well I don't think we deliberately set out to write that it just kind of no but I think we'd we'd been we'd been sort of speaking I mean we do speak about that kind of stuff a lot Mm. you know so I think that we probably were back then it's almost like a a, something we we share talking about anyway so it's sort of an obvious place to draw from mm. yeah yeah and the title Mother's Little Soldier is, um, encapsulates the, the, the frustration of not really really being able to own yourself and manage your own life as a man I certainly think that, there's, that I have an impulse in me to be independent and I'm not necessarily saying that this is always a healthy impulse or, or purely a male impulse but I certainly have a, an urge to be self-contained and sort of master of my own destiny and stuff 
I just feel like the culture we live in kind of doesn't really approve of growing up. The fully realised male, there's something kind of dangerous and weird about it, so you're better off just kicking around being like a teenager, well into your 30s or whatever. You know, so that, that idea of like, you're not really old enough to sort of play with matches. Yeah. That meaning is, a, is sort of stronger for me two years after the fact. Yeah, absolutely. And relevant. Yeah, and it's also worth saying that, you know, we recorded it, we wrote it all in a couple of hours and recorded it all really quickly afterwards. And I think yeah. given the short amount of time that we spent on it, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with it, actually. I think it's really good. I like the recording. And um, it's a nice little snapshot. Yeah. Well, Ian Larry, thanks for being a guest again on Song Hacks. And I'm sure you'll be back sometime in the future. Thank you, Al Southgate, for having me. No <laughs> <laughs> problem, it's a pleasure. Um, good luck. Who's next? Who's next? Well, some I don't want to jinx it, but some, yeah, I'm not going to say. Who knows? Definitely someone. Definitely someone.